This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. So um, we've been here. This is our fourth part talking about how to ignite your local church for mission. Again, that's a really big title. We could talk about all kinds of things. Um, I've just picked a few things here. I hope that they're helpful. Uh, If not, I gave every other group the excuse, just go use the restroom and don't come back. It won't hurt my feelings. But we're going to look at the growth cycle. And then uh, if you have any questions, and then we'll be done here at 3.30. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then you'll have, I think you have some free time. So you can go look at the exhibits and get stuck talking to people you haven't seen forever and all that kind of thing. So uh, why don't we begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we have learned today. I imagine uh, many are a little bit on overload, and I can understand that. But I thank you for those that are here, and we pray that your spirit will be poured out. Again, we recognize that in and of ourselves we can do nothing. Uh, but you have promised that you can do all things through Christ who gives us strength and Without Christ, uh, where would we be? We'd be lost, first and foremost. We would have no purpose, no direction, uh, no peace of mind, no understanding of where we're headed and what to expect, um, and nobody to comfort us in times when there seems like there is nobody. So we just thank you for all the ways that you provide for us, that you care for us, that you're interested in our lives, And uh, I pray that you will use these young people to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so talking about this growth cycle, and here's the whole cycle in pictorial, if you want to call that a picture, I guess, in illustrated form, starting at the top. Uh, The blue there is preparing the soil. And then, of course, the hand you see planting seeds in the soil after it's prepared. Uh, and then you're kind of nurturing the soil. I, don't, I mean, that's a, a picture of, of kind of to cultivate, so to speak. You've got to water and tend to it and make sure everything's good. I don't really recommend you digging it up like that. But anyway, you get the idea. <clears throat> How else do you illustrate that? Maybe a watering can. Then this other one is the harvest. And then this bag up here is the preservation. And we're going to look at this. Uh, cycle of evangelism because I think it's important that all those pieces be in place for evangelism to truly be effective. And we're going to try and break those down a little bit. So let's start with that first one. Prepare. Preparing the soil. Before or perform intentional acts of kindness, provide compassionate service, and comprehensive health ministry. Uh, those would be what we would put and classify in the prepare the soil area. Uh, so intentional acts of kindness. What might be some examples of those? Anyone? Yep. The food ministry, uh, anything that you're reaching out to show love, compassion, kindness. Sometimes they say random acts of kindness, even though it's typically not fully random. Um, maybe let me get this microphone going because I think they're trying to record this. Yes, sir. There's a guy, there's a guy at my church. He's retired um, and kind of 
kind of limited in what he's do, but he goes out and he buys these little bottles of water. Uh -huh. He takes a bag of them with some tracks and things, and he rides the city bus. And he's known as the water guy. And when he's not there, when he's gone a few days, he comes back. They've all missed him. And yeah. He sits down and he talks with those that want to talk, and he gives out a track every now and then. And it's just out there meeting people's needs just because he can. Cool. Cool, cool. Fairly random. Yeah. Well, this can take all different kinds of forms, you know, provide compassionate service and health ministry. Uh, we call that oftentimes the entering wedge, the health ministry, because I, there's not too many people that don't want to be healthy. Uh, they, they do exist, but most people want to feel good. They want to get good rest. They want to be uh, in a good state of health. Um, and so those are all things in terms of preparing the soil. And these types of things are typically... They get a lot of publicity, if you will. Um, you know, churches, I don't know if brag is the right word to use, but they like to say, we're a very loving and caring church. We like to really help. We're out in the community and we provide this food or this water or this whatever that they, you know, type of thing. And that's all good. And that's part of this cycle. Um, and I guess I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we're going to see it's just a part. The sowers of the seed have a work to do in preparing hearts to receive the gospel. In Christ-like sympathy, we should come close to men individually and seek to awaken their interest in the great things of eternal life. The love of Christ revealed in personal ministry may soften the stony heart so that the seed of truth can take root. And that's from Christ's Object Lessons, page 57. Uh, again, using that analogy of sowing seeds, preparing soil, all of that. But you have to prepare the soil. If you've ever planted seeds before, if you don't prepare the soil, it's probably not going to go too well. If you just throw them out on the ground. Now, if you're seeding for grass or something, sometimes that works. But there's even power seeders that get them into the ground. Um, if you're a big gardener, you know that preparing the soil is a big deal. And you turn it over and you sometimes will add certain things to it. Uh, and if you have very nice soil, very tended to soil, what's the likelihood that you'll get a good crop? Well, it increases. If it's very rocky, stony, you know, rough patches, lots of roots, or whatever it might be, of course, that's going to impact the seeds that you plant. Another quote, Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 327. When properly conducted, the health work is an entering wedge, making a way for other truths to reach the heart. And so to use that language of entering wedge... A wedge is there to kind of get you started with something else, right? Um, I mean, the, I have a wedge at home. We have a wood-burning fireplace. I like to split wood. I just got a new wedge. I mean, you have more of the typical, you know, sliver-shaped, um, I don't know if that's descriptive or not, but anyway, a typical wedge. But then I got one that's more of a spike, and it's just round, and then it has these pieces that come out. And if it's a real hard log and I can't get my wedge started, I'll start with that little spike and put that in, and that will create some cracks. And then from the cracks, I take my wedge, put those in the cracks, pile those down a little further. That creates other cracks, depending on how big this log may be. Eventually, I can split the log. But if I just go after it without any kind of plan of attack... I'll probably get really frustrated and say, this is really hard wood, and this is never going to fit in my fireplace. Forget it. Um, so just in, in the same vein, there's a process to evangelism. And 
properly conducted, the health work is one of those entering wedges, making the way. Uh, here's another quotation, Christ's method alone, you know this one, ministry of healing will give true success in reaching the people. And it breaks it down, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. Uh, sometimes, you know, if we just go straight to an evangelistic series and we're saying, follow me, and we don't have any rapport with them, we haven't built any confidence, uh, all of those types of things, they're not ready to make that decision. I don't really trust you. They're thinking there's still some kind of a hook or a catch, what's in it for him kind of a thing. Uh, and so all of these other pieces are important. Um, they see that we're genuine. We desire their good. We, we show sympathy for them and their needs. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean we solve all their needs. Sometimes showing sympathy is just a listening ear, isn't it? And oftentimes we want to fix it. How can we fix your problem? How can we take it away? How can we be the hero in this story? Well, maybe you can't. Maybe the resources are too big or, you know, it's a health challenge that is beyond our control, whatever it is. But just being a sympathetic, listening ear, it's nice to know you're not alone in that challenge, isn't it? Um, and that can be a real benefit as well. So the second step here is plant the Word. And so we're really preparing the soil so that we can do what? Plant seeds. Otherwise, we're just preparing the soil, preparing the soil, preparing the soil. And we'll, I, I'm still getting ahead of myself. Engage in spiritual conversation or share testimony. Um, it's hard for people to really disagree with your testimony. It's your testimony. So tell them what Jesus means to you or that type of thing. Share truth-filled literature and media. Again, you want to make sure that you've done some preparation, if you will, usually a cold interest. I mean, sometimes there's a place for that, or that's the only opportunity you might have. But the more you can prepare the soil first, the better. Invite to church events. And maybe it's one of those non-threatening church social type events initially. Maybe it's a concert you're having. Somebody on the piano, violin, it's going to be beautiful. Come and enjoy. Psalm 126, verse 6 says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, and so we need to bear seeds, or plant seeds. Christian Service, page 68. The dissemination of the truth of God is not confined to a few ordained ministers. The truth is to be scattered by all who claim to be disciples of Christ. Oh, well, we pay somebody to do that. Well, that's really all of our role to do. Um, and maybe that's why the work stagnates so often, especially here in North America. That, uh, I get reports, I shouldn't say I get reports, I hear reports um, about how this total member involvement is really catching on in little uh, areas of the world field. And some of these places are just getting so enthusiastic of total member involvement, everybody doing something for Jesus in preparation, typically for a harvest event. And they're having huge harvests because they're really preparing the soil. They're really sowing lots of seeds. Everybody is doing something. Uh, and that's a big part of this. Again, Christian service this time, page 37. Satan is now seeking to hold God's people in a state of inactivity to keep them from acting their part in spreading the truth, that they may at last be weighed in the balance and found wanting. Is the church today in a state of inactivity? 
Maybe you just have to ask the question, how many days a week, how many nights a week is my church open? Now, not to say you're expected to be there every night, but maybe there's a group that does this, a group that does that, a group that's sharing this or sharing that, small group study, a women's study, a men's thing, a guy, whatever. Um, or maybe it's just open for two hours, Sabbath morning, that's it. I don't know. Um, maybe you say, well, my church is closed most of those times because our church is actually out in the community doing stuff. Great. Go get them. <clears throat> Cole Porter Ministry, page 7, says, If there is one work more important than another, it is that of getting our publications before the public, thus leading them to search the Scriptures. Uh, it's not too often, yes, if they come to our church, but there's something so powerful about a publication in your hand that you can study at your own pace, look up the verse, spend as much time as you need to in the verse, and go back and forth, compare, maybe study it several times. Uh, there's something just unique about a publication, something in your hand, truth-filled literature. This is Evangelism, page 693. More than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day, most of whom will trace their first convictions to the reading of our publications. Uh, so that certainly is a big part, is truth-filled literature, publications, spreading them like the leaves of autumn, that type of thing. Uh, this is Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 231. The truth must not be muffled now. Plain statements must be made. Unvarnished truth. You know what that means, unvarnished? We could say the straight truth. We're not going to pat it down. We're not going to soften it. We're not going to try and make it palatable. Uh, that doesn't mean it has to be rude or offensive, but that also doesn't mean people won't get offended either. Uh, sometimes, uh, and I don't have these quotations, but sometimes in Spirit Prophecy there's a, a quote where she says, agitate, agitate, agitate. And that sometimes when we share the truth, it frustrates people and makes them angry. And we can be tempted to think, oh dear, I've done a terrible thing and offended my brother or my sister. Well, if it was done in love and if the Holy Spirit was leading, it may be a good thing. Not always. Maybe you did say something you shouldn't have and you're convicted that way and you should go apologize. But sometimes they're just frustrated and angry at the truth and they go back, I'm going to prove him wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe you've been kind of frustrated in a similar way, and it drove you back to the Bible to study, to, to search the Scriptures, to search Spirit of Prophecy, whatever it is, and God led you through that to a deeper level of surrender or whatever it might be. So anyway, unvarnished truth must be spoken in leaflets and pamphlets, and these must be scattered, there it is, like the leaves of autumn. Uh, so now moving on to cultivate. Uh, give ongoing Bible studies, bring to small group Bible studies or evangelistic meetings. So this is the cultivation part. So we've prepared the soil, we've planted seeds, we see that there's some type of an interest, maybe not with everybody, but with these people there's an interest. And so we follow up that interest with Bible studies. Would you be interested in going through a set of Bible study lessons? Or I have a lesson on that or you know, a resource on that. Would you like to go through that? And again, anybody can give Bible studies. And people say, well, I don't know. I haven't been trained. Friends, you know so much more about Scripture than you think you do, would be what I would wager. Um, and to give a Bible study is, again, not difficult. It's a matter of showing up, 
And you have one for you and one for them. And you say a prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And then it's a question and a Bible answer. And a question and a Bible answer. And you go through that with them and, and uh, what do you think? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Well, I think, you know, that when you die, you go straight to heaven and I'm positive because and da 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 da. Okay, well, let's, let's uh, look at some of these verses. Let the Bible do the heavy lifting, right? Uh, <clears throat> and they read it. Do you understand what that's saying? No, I don't. Well, let's read it again. Uh, what do you think that verse is saying there? And then there's silence. Nothing wrong with silence. Silence means you're thinking. We're usually pretty quick to jump into the silence because we don't like silence. What do you think that verse is saying? I mean, you might need to count to ten. Well, I guess it sounds like the Sabbath is pretty important to God. You know, or what, you might be surprised what you hear. Because you asked a question and Adam, think about it. Um, anyway, so Bible study. Bible studies are the heart of the evangelistic process. Let's look at some history of the Bible study. Stephen Haskell preached a sermon in 1883 using the question and Bible answer format to engage the crowd during a loud thunderstorm. It was so loud, he really couldn't preach. So he would shout out a question and look for Bible answers or ask them to respond with Bible answers or he would give a Bible answer. Uh, and they went back and forth because it was just pummeling. If you've ever been in the tent when it's raining really loud, you can barely hear. And so that's what they resorted to, to just try to have something in the midst of this storm. Elder W.C. White told his mother, Ellen White, about the impact the sermon had on the people. They thoroughly enjoyed this question, Bible answer, question, Bible answer, question, Bible answer. In those days, the truth was spread by preaching in large tents or by sharing tracts. But Ellen White said God showed her a reformation in vision in which his people were giving Bible studies using the same question and answer method Elder Haskell used in his sermon. With this divine encouragement, Elder Haskell began promoting lay-given Bible readings, which we today refer to as Bible studies. The power of this new method of sharing the truth was that it was, wasn't only the ministers that could do it, Hundreds and thousands of church members were to give Bible studies. Because again, the Bible is doing the heavy lifting. So you're asking a question, and here's a Bible answer. Well, what about, and well, I think it's going to get to that. Let's just be patient. Let's finish this study. I think your questions are going to be answered. I'm telling you, that the Bible studies that we have now, uh, they're very well put together, well thought through, Certainly I have my favorites, but there's some really solid ones uh, that answer all those questions that most people have. And, you know, they may come up with the question, what about this text? What about this verse? And you might just say, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Can I study up on that and get back to you next week? Okay. You know, I don't know anybody that's going to say, no, you can't leave until you tell me. Um... And you, you don't have to come across as a know-it-all. I think sometimes, honestly, the people that are best at this are just sweet and kind and maybe even, dare I say, ditzy, <laughs> simple. <laughs> or maybe they have that persona because they come across as non-threatening. 
They're not trying to twist anybody's arm. They're not the salesperson. You know, they're, they're a little timid. They're a little fearful. But people, when they, they interact with them over a few days, weeks, whatever, they just grow to love these people. And they're just the most quiet, soft-spoken people that you could possibly ever meet. And they're so successful. Another guy I overheard or was listening to something, and Mark Finley was interviewing this guy who was very successful in his country. And as a result of his ministry... Uh, sharing with people and Bible studies and so on, one-on-one Bible studies. There was something like 100 or 200 people that were baptized, some, some large number. And uh, Mark was asking, how do you do it? Tell us what you do. And he says, I don't do it. You do it. He says, what do you mean? He says, I come in and I do this. He says, you do what? He says, I come into their house and I do this. He says, what is that? Or maybe it was a few, another gesture. It was like this. I don't know. He says, I put in the tape or the DVD or whatever it is, and I hit play, power and play. And I let you do it. And in his setting, in his culture, people were just eating it up. They were hearing the truth. And then he'd say, can I come back next week and we'll go through the next one? Simple. We try and make it overly complex. Um, Anyway, we better keep going. In visions of the night, representations passed before me. This is Ellen White of a great reformatory reformatory movement among God's people. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the Word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. That's in volume 9 of the Testimonies, 126. But notice, who's doing the convicting? Holy Spirit. Uh, he's the one that really does the whole thing start to finish. He just wants us to show up and, and have a part, but it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do it. And if they reject you, they're really not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Bible or truth or whatever, and they have the freedom to do that. Nobody bats a thousand. God himself lost a third of the angels. Right? What did he do wrong? Where did he mess up? How was he not convincing enough? You know, we read in, in, in uh, I think it's Patriarchs and Prophets, it says he labored long with Lucifer. How long is long? I don't know. But he labored long. Did he convince him? No, he didn't. And the time came when he said, okay, I'm sorry. You're going to have to leave. And so there's, there's going to be Bible studies that we have to cut off, and yeah, it didn't work out, and that's okay. You're still a good person. Okay? <laughs> Christian Service, page 141. The plan of holding Bible readings or Bible studies was a heaven-born idea. Let that give you confidence. That here, the pen of inspiration in Christian Service, 141. Bible readings for the home is what we call Bible studies today. That's what it was all born out of. Heaven-born idea. Uh, This is something that God started. Um, Have you ever heard of BibleStudyOffer.com? I'm not sure if I left... I think I did. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Let me get this mic back out. I'm going to show you this little video because I think it can explain it better. Where did I leave this thing? Then I can. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has been called by the power of the Holy Spirit to finish the work of God on the earth and to prepare the world for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Seventh-day Adventists have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance 
they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. The most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given us to proclaim to the world. The proclamation of these truths is to be our work. The world is to be warned, and God's people are to be true to the trust committed to them. As in the early church, both leaders and lay members are needed for this end-time work. Ellen White saw a mighty reformation in vision in which hundreds and thousands of Seventh-day Adventists were seen visiting families and opening before them the Word of God. It was a vision of a church-wide Bible study reformation involving both ministers and church members that was destined to result in the special blessing of the Spirit of God. She went on to write, Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. To help churches become part of this Bible study reformation, an innovative new Bible school has been developed called BibleStudyOffer.com. Here's how it works. BibleStudyOffer.com is a website that offers two free Bible study series that can be requested online or by calling a phone number and speaking to a live representative. The first is Landmarks of Prophecy, which consists of DVD presentations by Pastor Doug Batchelor with corresponding study guides. And the second is the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. Either series can be requested free of charge for personal study, or an It Is Written one-on-one -on -one study or Landmarks of Prophecy group study can also be requested. Those who complete either study series are promised a certificate and a free It Is Written Bible. Every church that participates in BibleStudyOffer.com is assigned a unique church offer code that can be stamped onto BibleStudyOffer.com advertising materials. Churches can generate Bible study interests by offering Bible studies to church visitors and event guests. Simply say, Have you heard about our Bible school? And give them a BibleStudyOffer.com intro pack that contains a sign-up card and the first study guides and DVD as a sample. Members can now also offer Bible studies wherever they go by distributing small glow-sized tracts and business cards and by setting up racks with display cards in offices and waiting rooms. Removable bumper stickers, car magnets, and yard signs are available. The website can also be shared over social media, including a promotional video on the BibleStudyOffer.com homepage. Participating churches can also download billboard graphics, radio advertisements, and other helpful files and graphics. To generate multiple interests quickly, they can offer Bible studies door-to-door -door as local representatives of BibleStudyOffer.com or do a mass mailing of large postcards to zip codes around the church. Once each day, local Bible school coordinators at participating churches will receive an email notifying them of any Bible study requests received in the last 24 hours. When logged into BibleStudyOffer.com, coordinators can see and manage the full list of Bible study interests, as well as order supplies at great prices. They can order the study guides and DVDs, a full set of study review cards for each series that helps build relationships with drop-off interests, Bible study tracking cards to help members track their progress with each interest, pocket folders to hold study guides and supplies when visiting homes, certificates and Bibles for those who complete a study series, and much more. A detailed training manual is available for electronic download, or hard copies may be ordered through the coordinator panel of the website. This manual has everything churches need to know about BibleStudyOffer.com, 
and includes detailed training to help church members get equipped to follow up on any type of Bible study request. The book Christian Service, page 141, reminds us, The plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. It was God who gave our early pioneers the witnessing method we today refer to as Bible studies. And He gave a vision of a mighty reformation in which hundreds and thousands of Seventh-day Adventists were actively sharing Bible truth with others. Today, there's no time to lose. The signs of the end are fast fulfilling, and the final events of Earth's history will be rapid ones. All of heaven is ready to help us share the message of a soon-coming Savior. It's time for the church to arise and shine. It's time for a Bible study reformation. Okay, um, how many of you have heard of BibleStudyOffer.com? Okay, a few of you. Uh, there's other ones out there. The thing that I like about this when it was presented to me was that when people send, you know, or, or sign up for Bible Study Offer or Bible Studies through the website, the coordinator gets an email within 24 hours. So within one day, if the coordinator is checking their email every day, oh, I got one. And he lives over here in Fletcher or wherever, <clears throat> Mills River, Horseshoe. Hey, let's go check on this interest. And if we have a team, hey, that's over by you, William. Will you go follow up? Sure, I'll be happy to. He has a set of lessons at his house. He goes over and knocks on the door. I mean, you could beat Amazon, right? Because with the other forms, and they're not bad, and, and the Lord is using those too, but typically what happens in other places that I've been is that by the time we get those interests, oftentimes not just weeks, but months have passed. And so a lot can change in that person's life in a course of three, sometimes even as much as six months. And so if you are faithful and following through on that and you knock on their door, I can't remember what I ordered from Amazon six months ago. Can you? And it, let's say somebody has passed away in, in the home or somebody their spouse left them, or whatever it might be, they're in a, a really vulnerable place, and they feel the Holy Spirit working on them, they come across in whatever way, and they sign up. Um, that's the moment that you want to, you know, I, I would think you get a lot less pushback when they say, you requested this yesterday. Or, you know, last week we got this, you know, it really doesn't need to be a week, but if you could do it in two, three days, that would be powerful. Um, and then you're, all, you're not just mass mailing out to everybody and most of those get thrown away, but it's going to people that are interested. Um, some people have asked, well, can't we just mail them? You can. They really suggest that if you can knock on their door. And some people sometimes are, are well, I thought you were going to mail them. Well, we like to do it this way so we can at least have some interaction. And uh, I already passed by here on my way to work, and so it saves on postage, which can add up a little bit. Uh, and if this is a good time, I can be back here next week and, and give you another lesson. And, and there's little cards that they fill out, and they're meant to be brief. So do you have any prayer requests? And there's a pretty small spot. So when they hand it to you, you might be able to read over it pretty quickly, you know, health challenges for, for John or whatever. Hey, I noticed here you, you put this down. Uh, would it be okay if I pray with you now? You know, you might follow up more than that before the prayer, but you could do that too, and something could form. And they may not complete. You know, we know even with our evangelistic series, 
We start off with a big number and it gradually dwindles down. We know that's going to be the case. The same with Bible studies. So you order a lot more of set number one than the last one. Um, but another tool that I think could be very powerful. Uh, and you only have people sign up in your area if you're putting it out there. So we have a banner at our church. You could put it in your bulletin if you have a radio station or if you want to pay for radio ads on a radio station, you could do that. You could put it in the newspaper every so often. You could send it out to zip codes in advance of something else that you're doing. Uh, the suggestion there is to send it out in just like one or two zip codes at a time so you're not flooded with 50 requests and then, oh no. So if you do one zip code, we got 10 requests and then when you're ready, do another one the next week and that kind of thing, that could space it out a little bit. Um, and they also have, you saw those little glow tracks, or that, that size, if you will. So when you hand out a glow track, you could tuck that in there too. So they like what's in the glow track, and that leads to some other things, but this also connects them to you with some Bible studies. Um, so anyway, it's something that you could think about and certainly could start. Jim Howard at the General Conference oversees this, and if this is something you'd like to do, I would just encourage you to take a picture of this slide here. Ask your personal ministry director or whoever's, uh, you know, your pastor, whomever, and say, this is something I'd be excited about. What are we doing for a Bible school? Well, we don't have one, or we already have one. It's working great. Okay, then no problem. But um, if not, you can email him, and he needs the name of your church, physical address, your conference, name of the coordinator, and email for the coordinator. That's the one that's going to be getting the emails. Uh, what's the cost to the church? Uh, really, there's an initial cost of getting the materials, but you're only paying for the materials. You're not paying for the lady that's answering the phone. You're not paying to maintain the website or any of those things. It's just for the actual Bible studies, the DVDs, and those things that you're going to pass out or the ways that you're going to advertise it. <coughs> oh, that was terrible. I'm sorry. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say about this before we move on. I don't remember now. Oh, well. Um, anyway, okay. So that's in the form of the Bible study section. Now let's go to the harvest, gain decisions in evangelistic meetings and other sermons, and gain decisions in Bible studies. Sometimes you can get decisions in Bible studies, and that's wonderful. When you can gain decisions anytime, that's wonderful. But sometimes in an evangelistic meeting where you have somebody presenting and really appealing to the heart, and will you come forward, uh, many people will make decisions then that won't in just a Bible study setting. Uh, I don't know why that necessarily is, uh, but it's also good, you know, oh, we've, they've already been through all of these studies. Well, that's true, but I don't know how many times I've been through them, and I still seem to learn something every time I go through them. So it's a good thing to reinforce what they've heard and... You know, there's so much information there. All of us miss parts of, of every presentation or study or whatever. So let them hear it again. And then bring them to decision if, if well, the Holy Spirit convicts the heart, certainly, but give them that opportunity. Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Do you believe that the harvest is great? Isn't that a waste? You ever driven through the plain states? And see all the, I mean, just acres and acres and acres of corn or of wheat or of cotton or wherever you're driving. And you wow, this is incredible. And what happens if nobody comes and harvests those things? We live right a few minutes away from all these tomatoes. And the time of year comes when you're going to have that first frost. And I'm always tempted to just go out there and 
gather up as many tomatoes as I can because they just fall off. And sometimes I'll put a sign up that'll say free tomatoes or they'll sell a big bag for a dollar or something. Um, but to have all that harvest be going to waste is too bad. The harvest is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, I don't know if I know you know enough. You certainly know enough. Get started. If there is not a decided application of the truth to their hearts, if words are not spoken at the right moment, calling for decision from the weight of evidence already presented, the convicted ones pass on without identifying themselves with Christ. The golden opportunity passes, and they have not yielded, and they go further and further away from the truth, further away from Jesus, and never take their stand on the Lord's side. That's also a sad quote to me because we didn't give them the opportunity to act on what we presented to them. How many found that interesting? Wonderful. Let's have prayer and go home. No, you've done all that work. Ask for a decision. Uh, I oftentimes wonder in our own church services, in my own church services, in my own preaching, uh, why I don't call for more uh, appeals, make more appeals to come forward. You know, if you're convicted that you, you know, why don't we do that more often? Well, maybe nobody will come. So what if nobody comes? You know, the Holy Spirit might start to agitate their heart a little bit and that'll trouble them for a while. It's not about you anyway. When the seed sown has grown to maturity, it is vital that we reap the harvest beyond merely educating people. We must lead them to make decisions to follow Christ and Bible truth and ultimately to be baptized. I'm going to have to go faster here. Too much hasty work is done in adding names to the church role. Serious defects are seen in the characters of some who join the church. Those who admit them say, we will first get them into the church and then reform them. Is that a good idea? Let's just baptize them. Let's just dunk them. Uh, <clears throat> sounds like somebody politically that said, well, let's just pass this thing. And we'll see what's in it afterwards. But this is a mistake. The very first work to be done is the work of reform. Pray with them, talk with them, but do not allow them to unite with God's people in church relationship until they give decided evidence that the Spirit of God is working on their hearts. Uh, I've had people before, I just want to be baptized. Well, I want to get through these studies with you first. Let's just wait. Uh, I promise you, you'll have opportunity to do that. Um, And this one individual was very anxious, and it wasn't until his baptism after the fact, maybe six months later... When we'd went, gone through all the studies, he's just chomping at the bit. He says, Pastor, I really appreciate that you made me wait. This is a lot more meaningful now. After all that I've learned, this decision just means more. Isn't that what we want? Did I say where that was? Review and Herald, May 21, 1901. Another one. The test of discipleship is not brought to bear as closely as it should be upon those who present themselves for baptism. It should be understood whether those who profess to be converted are simply taking the name of Seventh-day Adventists or whether they are taking their stand on the Lord's side to come out of the world and be separate and touch not the unclean thing, which is a hard thing to do. Uh, When they give evidence that they fully understand their position, they are to be accepted. But when they show that they are following the customs and fashions and sentiments of the world, they they are to be faithfully dealt with. If they feel no burden to change their course of action, they should not be accepted as members of the church. The Lord wants those who compose His church to be true, faithful stewards of the grace of Christ. 
And that's pastoral ministry 164. So we don't want to rush them into baptism. We want to make sure that they know what decision they're making. Um, and sometimes I'll even be, I don't know, a little sarcastic with them and say, well, what if we baptize you and you find out later that we believe in child sacrifice? You believe in child sacrifice? No, but we haven't finished our, our lessons. How do you know? Evangelism 3.20. God would be better pleased to have six truly converted to the truth than to have 60 make a nominal profession and yet not be thoroughly converted. Um, so then the last piece here is preserve and train. This is provide systematic discipleship plan for mentoring new members, train members in soul winning service, nurture members. You know, it, it pains me. I've had people say, you know, I felt like there was all this effort to get me into the church, and once I was baptized, once I was an official member, they just dropped me. They didn't care about me anymore. I was getting all this attention and phone calls and visits and all the rest. Hey, they're baptized. Yay! Next. Uh, and we pour into somebody else. And so this preservation part is really how do we grow that individual in their walk with the Lord? How do we mature them and get them involved and connected in ministry in the local church? Isn't that really the point to make disciples? It should be. Um, Luke 17, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Luke 6, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And so that's the idea. Christ Object Lessons 303, many there are against those names will be found written in the books of heaven, not producers, but consumers. Have mercy. How many of you have seen this little book? It's been out, I think, five years, is that right? Um, it used to have a blue stripe in it, and they've changed it a little bit. Uh, it was developed in one of our conferences, and the GC has accepted it, and now it's being published by, I think, the Review. But you can get this at your ABC, and what we do, anytime somebody's baptized in Hendersonville, oftentimes if it's somebody that did the Bible studies with them or in, invited them to the series or somehow has a connection, uh, I'll ask them to be their spiritual mentor. And what does that mean? That means they both, the person baptized and the spiritual mentor, sometimes it's a couple, and that's fine too, they each get a book like this, and they go through the book, and it deals with, I wish I had one here and, and could show you the table of contents, but everything about how to develop your relationship and a devotional life, you know, relationship with God, um, stewardship type things. It talks about some of the, the vocabulary that we as Adventists use, the, the lingo that they may not understand, how our church is set up and structured, how to get them involved in ministry. I mean, it's just a very practical book that really starts with the spiritual end and moves all the way through. And it takes most people about nine months to a year to complete. Meeting once a week, and sometimes it doesn't work out and that kind of thing, but trying to as much as possible maybe before a prayer meeting or another church function. And it's, so it's a big commitment that somebody is making to do this, but I've had only good response that, man, this was a great thing. We really enjoyed it. They enjoyed it. And the people that go through this discipleship handbook with somebody are really connected to the church when it's all, all said and done because they weren't just baptized and left, you know, figured out on your own. And the reality is we know the devil's going to attack, Right? And at that point, where are we? Well, we're on to somebody else. Um, and so again, this isn't necessary to add to the pastor's plate, 
uh, but to get your members to do this. And then they get excited about it. And, and the person, I mean, that's discouraging. If I spend a lot of time, you know, I took the risk, invited them to come, they made a decision, they were baptized, and six months later, we don't know where they are. And then, you know, we make an appeal, invite your neighbors and friends again, and they say, I don't know if I want to do that. Because it didn't work out last time. Uh, but if they become contributing members to the church, uh, I think of another couple that came in through an evangelistic series we did, um, Ken and Brenda, and they're just involved. They're part of the fabric of the church, and it seems like they've just been there forever, but it's only been three, four years that they've been there. Uh, but they're very well connected. So look for that at your ABC. I think depends on how many you get. I think if you just get one, it might be $12. If you get a bunch, you can get it down to like $7.99 or something if you order in bulk. If you're a small church, try and get other churches to get on board with you in, in getting them. Eventually, they want all of these. I think this Fundamentals of Faith, this yellow one has come out. That's really for clearing for baptism. So it's a, a thin one. Um, this Bible study handbook, I'm probably the most anxious to have come out. It's trying to help members feel secure in, in giving Bible studies, what to do, what not to do, point by point, and then also some Bible studies in the book itself. Um, and then there's some other ones here, and that's basically one color for each of the areas of this GROW uh, chart that you've been looking at, and that's still in development. But I still think if only this red one existed, it would be a huge contribution and is a huge contribution. Um, and you can find those at grow.avenus.org. There's some more resources as, as it goes to this, this grow thing here. You can use some of these slides. You can, uh, let's see, you can put your own, customize your own logo. And so instead of grow your church, you can put grow Hendersonville and use it that way. And our banner says grow Hendersonville. You can put grow Carolina, grow whatever you want to put in there. Uh, and this is the banner that, <clears throat> that you have, and you can talk about this whole cycle. So this is the part, though, that I think all of that to say this. The local church growth potential is best when all of these areas are at their peak. Every church has different strengths and weaknesses. So in this church here, they're not very good at preparing the soil. They plant a lot of seeds. They cultivate, but they don't, they're not really good at having a harvest or a reaping series, but they're good at preserving. This one is, is different, you know, and you can see those differences there. Um, this one's great at preparing and great at trying to have a harvest, but they don't preserve anything and they don't have a lot of Bible study going on and that kind of thing. <clears throat> what did that say? Every church has, you know, I've read that already. We should evaluate the strength or weaknesses of each phase. The key is to recognize that every phase of soul winning is essential. We can't just focus on one or two areas and neglect the others. This results in a growth bottleneck that limits church growth. We must strengthen every phase, always aiming for total, and this is what total member involvement looks like. So think about what would happen in your church if you had a vibrant preparing ministry, right? Where you're doing lots of, of kind acts in the community. You're helping in all these very practical ways. You're cultivating the soil. You're planting seeds. Uh, well, you're planting seeds first, I should say. Then you're cultivating the soil. Then you have a harvest event once a year that you're building people up to. Uh, then you have this preserve program where you're taking them through this discipleship handbook and you're now using them. I mean, some of the best people in gaining new decisions are the ones that just made decisions. Why? Because very few of their friends are Seventh-day Adventists. Their whole family is still out in the world and their cousins and their co-workers and everybody. So let's use that 
and give them tools to bring them to what they just found. So question, if every member was involved in some form of personal outreach service, would the church grow? You say yes. I'm so sorry, that's a trick question. The answer is no, because some churches look like this. And every member might be involved, they're probably not, but let's say every member was involved and all they did was prepare the soil. Your neighbor's a farmer and every day he plows up the field again. Plows up the field again. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a work of art, but he just keeps doing it every day. At some point you're going to say, hey buddy, plant some seeds. What about a church that looks like this? You prepare the soil and then you try and have a harvest. Well, we did all these random acts of kindness. We were out there giving away free water at the intersection and doing all these things and we were having food drives and then we went straight to having a vanishing series and nobody came. I guess they're right. Evangelism dead. It doesn't work. We're not doing that anymore. Hmm. What if it looked like this? You went straight to Bible studies. You know, you're there in the grocery store. Do you want Bible studies? No? Okay. Do you? Do you? Who wants Bible studies here? Eh, it's probably a hard sell. So, <clears throat> anyway, you might have known of churches like this. Our church has seven evangelistic series a year. We end one and we start another one. That's all we do. Well, that doesn't seem so balanced either, does it? You really want all of those pieces there. Um, this is another popular model. We're going to do all these other pieces, but we're not going to have a series or any type of a reaping event. Well, it, it can be hard to, to pull people across the line and have them make a decision. And so you can be having Bible studies with somebody for four years. Well, have you thought about becoming Seventh-day Adventist or being baptized? Or, well, I just don't know. But I'd like to see you next week and we can study again. They can just perpetuate. You want to have something to invite them to so they can make a decision. And then this we see, too, where there's no preservation and, and empowering them afterwards. Local churches must have comprehensive plans that value the importance of every phase of the soul-winning cycle. And what I like about this is so often you have churches that argue back and forth over which way we should be doing it. You know, we're all about random acts of kindness. We're about traditional evangelism. You know, you water it down. We love the people. You know, all this back and forth. It's not a back and forth. It's not one or the other. It's both and. We need all the pieces to have the growth cycle. I mean, doesn't, to me, that made sense when I saw that. Only then will total member involvement result in total church growth. So the five grow goals include one goal for each essential phase. Prepare goal. Church-wide community ministries in every local church. Plant goal. Active literature and media ministry in every local church. Cultivate goal. Vibrant Bible study ministry in every local church. Harvest goal, regular evangelistic meetings in every local church. Preserve goal, systematic discipleship ministry in every local church. And if we have all of these goals met, I believe your church is going to grow. And probably already you're, you're putting it in, the, in your context and saying, well, you know, we're pretty strong here in having a regular evangelistic meeting every year. Our Bible study ministry is, is kind of leaves some things to be desired. Uh, we get out in the community a couple times a year, so at least that's off to a decent start. 
literature ministry, that's too expensive, and so we don't have a lot of that to share. And uh, discipleship, we just kind of try and love on them. Well, maybe you see where you could increase the bar a little bit in some of those areas and maybe focus on the, the lowest areas first. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Um, so a few errors in evangelism we want to expose, and then we're going to be done. Misconception. Our church does evangelism once a year. Grow says successful evangelism is a year-round process that includes kindness, truth-sharing, studying, and mentoring. Doesn't that sound more complete? Misconception. Friendship and compassion is the best evangelism. This GROW initiative says preparing the soil with friendship and service is vital, but is only the first of many essential phases of soul winning. Did I miss that one? No. Okay. Misconception. We should do personal evangelism instead of public evangelism. This GROW model says individual labor is most important, but even better than an either-or mentality is to do both. Always sow beside all waters, Isaiah 32, 20. When both are combined, extensive meetings and personal effort, with the blessing of God, a more perfect and thorough work may be wrought. Christian Service 121. Another misconception, a lot of baptisms is evidence of successful soul winning. Grow would say, not necessarily. If we baptize too hastily, without taking proper time to cultivate and harvest, it can result in more baptisms, but cause for unforeseen problems. Look at this quote. Great care should be exercised in accepting members into the church, for Satan has his uh, specious devices through which he pur purposes to crowd false brethren into the church through whom he can work more successfully to weaken the cause of God. You might have your own ideas of who some of those people in your church might be. <laughs> They're not really helpful. Um, and maybe, is it possible that they were baptized too quickly? I suppose that's one cause. Um, there's a lot of other causes that could be as well. Uh, but that's another sobering quote from Evangelism 3.13. Misconception. Baptism is the end goal. The Gros says baptism is... Uh, definitely an important goal of soul winning, but not the ultimate goal. We must mentor and train new members to become grounded disciples who make other disciples. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing the same thing and then picking up more and more and more, and you're not Superman and neither am I. But through this other discipleship process, we just put a bunch of effort into this individual, but now they are working. They're involved in ministry. They're taking some of the burden off, um, and that's how it should be. Christian Service 121, one soul, one to the truth, will be instrumental in winning others, and there will be an ever-increasing result of blessing and salvation. There's nothing more beautiful to me as a pastor than working with somebody, laboring with somebody, and they had to make those tough decisions. They had to give up alcohol. They had to, you know get rid of this bad habit and that bad habit, but they surrendered and it was difficult, but they did it. And now they're serving in the capacity of the church that you wonder how you ever live without them. They're such an amazing musician or they're so gifted in this area or they've just bolstered your children's division or whatever it might be. Those are the rewards. Those are the blessings 
of evangelism and discipleship. It's not just, we got another baptism. Yay for us. Um, I believe this three angels message is really important for this time. And this is what God wants to spread throughout the world. And it's not going to finish with more brilliant pastors or more committed or putting in more hours. It's going to only happen by total member involvement. And that means you, that means me, that means everybody doing something. Well, public evangelism just isn't my thing. That's fine. That's only one part. Maybe you could do a different part, right? Well, random acts of kindness, that's just, eh, fine. Let somebody else do that part. But when we all work together, um, things can happen. So I guess in conclusion here is I'm hoping that you will see maybe a bigger picture of what evangelism is and what it could be in your local church and maybe give you an idea of where you could pinpoint and start. Um, You know, you can't tackle all these pieces all at once too well, but you can start one at a time. How can we improve this area? How can we improve that area? And as we move forward on our knees, how may the Lord bless this for His glory? Because I would love to see every church around the world right there at the top in every, in every area. And to be part of a church that you feel is growing, is vibrant, that has something to offer, that your membership is increasing versus declining, that's a, a beautiful thing. And I think that's what God wants as well. So we, are, we have one minute. I'm sorry I took so much time. Any questions? Or are you ready to be done for the day? And I don't blame you. Anybody? No? Did it make any sense? Was it helpful to anybody? All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we would just ask that you will help us to grow our church, not to grow our egos, and not necessarily to grow our membership, but to grow the disciples within our churches, to grow the number of people that are sold out and committed to you, and in the process, to grow us, to be more fully committed, to trust you more fully. Uh, There's so many benefits of all of these areas when we do our best, when we come up with a plan. Certainly we pray about it, we talk to others, uh, we work with them and try to see what can be done. Maybe at the beginning is just to go to this website and to see some of their resources and talk to personal ministry leaders and what have you and try and get people on the same page and say, look, we're not against one another here, but how can we use this cycle of evangelism uh, to improve what we're already doing? And so I pray that you will help the people that are here to be the catalyst in their local church and that you will bless, that you will go before us, that you will prepare the way, help us to have the conversations that we need to have, uh, that ultimately you may be glorified and that our communities can be one with our very unique, very timely three angels message. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, 
visit us online at gycweb.org.